Good morning, everyone. Guten Morgen. Strasbourgie. Hola. There we go. I just try my different languages. I haven't got many, so it doesn't take long. Uh, Good day. You all, you all okay? Great. Have you ever had uh, that experience of coming out of somewhere that's dark into the light? Maybe driving out of a, a dark tunnel uh, in, on, into uh, the sunlight, or coming out of the cinema on a bright day. And it takes a moment for your eyes to adjust and then uh, you start to see things a bit differently. Today, we're gonna see the difference that God's presence makes in people's lives. We're in a series looking at the life of David, and the passage that we're gonna look at today is all about God's presence. The Spirit of God rushing in on David, and at the same time, Saul walking away from God into darkness leaving God's presence behind. Now, last week we heard from Andy about how the nation of Israel had desired a king like the nations around them and how that envy led them away from trusting God to lead them into battle and protect them and to put their trust in Saul, the king who looked so impressive, who was I'm not very tall, but head and shoulders taller than anyone else, but who was not the king that God desired for Israel. And so God chose another, David, a man after God's own heart. And God sent Samuel to anoint David as king over Israel, a young shepherd left out in the fields, not even called by his father to appear in the lineup, before Samuel, yet known by God, chosen by him, and anointed in secret as king. So we're going to pick up uh, from where Andy left off last week. We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, and there it is up there for you as well. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. That's a small harp. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have one with me. Um, And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Now, Jesse must have thought, 
this is it. This is the moment. My son's been anointed king. This is his pathway to power. So verse 20, and Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David became, sorry, and David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this account in the life of David. We thank you for your spirit with us as we've worshipped. And we just pray right now, as we look at your word, would you speak to us through it? Would you come by your spirit and would you bear fruit in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have this bizarre situation with David, the one chosen by God to replace Saul, coming into Saul's service. Although this took place about 3,000 years ago, isn't this the stuff of normal life? We regularly find ourselves in awkward situations, or is it just me? You know, you end up uh, in the desk next to the person that you're going to replace at work, or or the person that you've fallen out with, you end up next door to on holiday, or, you know, camped next to at West Point. Can you imagine? These accounts from David's life speak to our common experience. They teach us to believe him through the strange circumstances of life. If I was David in that situation, called to court, I'd be tempted to say, da-da! Here I am, the anointed king of Israel. I know none of you have a problem with, uh, you know, presumption or arrogance. But, uh, you know, here I am, the heir apparent, make way for me. But that is not how David acted at all. He trusted God, even in this strange situation where he'd been anointed. It was his crown, and yet he was willing to serve. And we get this amazing contrast between David and Saul. David is anointed king in secret by Samuel. And we're told the spirit rushed upon David, like God's seal of approval on David as the leader of his people. And David is filled with the spirit. And God's presence changes everything. Things begin to change in David's life. Look at the list of characteristics that one of Saul's servants report about David. It starts in verse 18. Firstly, he was skillful in playing an instrument. Secondly, he was a man of valor. Maybe they've seen or heard about his bravery. Thirdly, he was a man of war. Maybe that's an exaggeration because all we've heard about David so far is he's been a shepherd in the fields. But David could obviously handle himself, you know, uh, enough to be given the job of armor bearer to the king. 
Fourthly, he was prudent in speech. He spoke well. Fifthly, he was a man of good presence. He carried himself well. He was good to be around. Now, those five are a pretty good CV, aren't they? Yes, Ben, you're allowed to interact. But the next one is the most important. It said, the Lord is with him. It was evident that something of God's presence radiated from David. I don't know whether you've ever met anyone like that. It's like there just seems to be something of God about them. Uh, Many, many years ago, I went to a training day. I think it was in preparation for Stonely Youth or New Day or something like that. And uh, we gathered in this place. But there was a guy uh, sat somewhere in the room, and, and there was just something that stood out about him. And I thought, maybe he's just been on holiday, and he's kind of glowing, he's got a suntan. But there was more to it than that. It was like he radiated joy and faith and enthusiasm, and it was God's spirit on him. Now, I, I didn't know him. Now I know. That was Jeremy Simpkins, who now leads one of the New Frontiers family of churches. But you may have known people like that. You may know people in this church. They just radiate a sense of God's presence, and we should all aspire to be more like that, shouldn't we? Well, it was true of David. It was evident, very, very evident, that God's presence was on him. And then finally, it says, Saul loved him greatly in verse 21. We can assume that Saul was against David, but actually Saul loved David greatly. He probably loved all those characteristics about David. And at that point, he didn't see him as a threat. In verse 22, Saul says, he has found favor in my sight. The spirit rushed upon David and the impact of God's presence was evident for all to see. You see, in the Old Testament, God's Spirit came upon particular people. Let's say Emma Cave, God's Spirit, just on her, not on the rest of you, riffraff, just on her, for a, at a particular time, for a particular purpose. Samson, we're told in Judges, was given great strength to liberate the people from the Philistines. Gideon was filled with the Spirit in order to lead God's people. And the Spirit filled David so that he could be a king after God's own heart. Now, like David, various people in the Old Testament have encounters with God, and their ministry begins after those encounters. But God isn't just interested in meeting with a few isolated individuals. God has always been after a people amongst whom he can dwell. So Christianity is less an individualistic faith, and it's more about a community of people with God in their midst. In the Old Testament, it was the 12 tribes of Israel encamped around the Ark of the Covenant, where God dwelled in the tent of meeting. Then it was the nation of Israel gathered to worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. But now, following a promise in the book of Joel, chapter 2, God's Spirit is poured out 
on all flesh. And that was fulfilled at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when God's Spirit was poured out. Now, because of Jesus, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in his gathered people. And the world will see God because he dwells with his people. That's where all of history is moving towards. And that's what David's life represents after the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. So we have David filled with the Spirit, but Saul had rejected God. Just like the nation had rejected God as their king, Saul had gone after other things and rejected God. And this had become a pattern of behavior in Saul's life. Disobeying God's commands and trying to do things in his own strength. Earlier in his reign, Saul had offered a sacrifice that he shouldn't have done. It was for Samuel as God's prophet to make the sacrifice. Later on, Saul won a victory over the Amalekites. But he let the people keep the plunder, keep the spoils, which was the very thing God had said not to do. Now, we have to remember the context of the old covenant. God had made an agreement with his people. If you obey me and keep my commands, then I, was bless- then I will bless you. It was very simple. Saul had not obeyed God and was more concerned with what people thought of him than doing what God had said. So the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. A spirit, a harmful spirit from the Lord, what does that mean? Um, I'll now click over to some uh, biblical expert. Well, we know from the book of Job that God is ultimately in control of everything that happens to us. So he allowed Job to be tested. This just shows us that God is sovereign and has power over all spiritual forces. Not that he desires evil, but he works everything for the good of those who love him. But he does stand against those who persist in their pursuit of evil. And so really what's going on here is, God is giving Saul over to the things that he'd set his heart on. This account shows us that what we see with our eyes isn't all that there is. There is a spiritual world. There is a spiritual reality that is inhabited by good and evil. I don't say that to scare you or sound spooky, but it is a reality. And Saul's life is a warning for us that the choices we make can open us up to the influence of those spiritual forces, whether it's good or bad. And what we see is we, the devastating effects of those choices in Saul's life. He becomes increasingly paranoid and insecure and jealous, and it manifests itself in outbursts of violent anger. It's very unpredictable. When's he next going to fly off the handle? So in chapter 18, Saul is angry because the people are singing and they're saying, they're singing, 
Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands, and Saul is angry, and he throws a spear to kill David, not once, but twice. And then in chapter 20, Saul's son Jonathan is speaking up on behalf of David, and Saul is violently angry and throws a son at Jonathan. He tries to kill his own son. I mean, I get upset, you know, at little things with my children, but I don't throw spears at them, do I? Jess can vouch for me. The effects was so apparent, even at this stage in chapter 16, that Saul's servants kind of have to point it out. Like, I'm not sure how they did that. Uh, um, Maybe we need some help, Saul. But he agrees, and they send for David. And even in this, we see God's grace to Saul. In verse 23, it says, Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David played, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Clearly, whenever David played, it had a powerful effect on Saul, and that presence of God that came as David played brought peace to Saul because God's presence does change things. Now, when we read these accounts, we tend to put ourselves in the position of the hero, whether it's Indiana Jones or Ray from Star Wars, or in this case, David. We put ourselves in the place of the hero, the good one, the one loved by God. But actually, the lesson for us is how prone we are to being like Saul. We tend towards wanting to please people rather than God. Wanting life on our own terms. Not actually wanting to do what God said. Now, as I said before, praise God, we're no longer under the old covenant. Saul had failed to keep in good relationship with God. Thankfully, that is not our situation. Because of Jesus' saving work on the cross, we're under a new covenant of grace. God's judgment and anger against sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And so by believing, we receive the benefits of Jesus' obedience to his Father. Even though we can fail again and again like Saul, Jesus has perfectly kept God's commands. And by faith, we're treated as if we are perfectly obedient because of our faith in Jesus. So we're not under judgment, we're under grace. And we're not the hero in our story. Jesus is the hero. He has provided grace for us. So however you might feel like you've messed up this week, or in your life, or even this morning, or if you feel like God's left me, God's deserted me, God's removed himself from my life because of all the things I've done. That is not true. Jesus tells his followers and says to anyone who's put their trust in him that he will never leave us or forsake us. He said after he died and rose from the dead that he was going away so that his spirit could be poured out 
and dwell with us forever. So now we have the Spirit available to each one of us. The Lord was with David, and the Lord wants to meet with you today. You can smile at me if you think that's good news. We've had the bad news. This is the good news. The very Spirit of God is available and wants to meet with you today. Now, why should we desire that? What, what difference is it going to make? Well, the Spirit-filled life is the life that you want to live, the, the life you dream about living, and that we're so often disappointed with ourselves because we fall short of it. But by pursuing the presence of God in our lives, by coming back again and again and asking for God's Spirit to fill us, He empowers us to live a better way. And God's presence changes everything. It changes our perspective. It changes our experience. It changes how we respond to things, whether those things are good or bad. I think about times myself where I've encountered God. So I remember the first time I ever walked into a church like this and the sense of life that was I'd never really experienced before. I think that was the Holy Spirit uh, in that church. And then later that year, I was only 17, I was invited to a conference about the Holy Spirit. Not sure that's a good evangelistic strategy, but anyway, I was invited. And I went along, and most of the Christians I went with were completely freaked out because the Holy Spirit was doing lots of things all, all about the place. But for me, even though I wasn't a Christian, I saw something that was authentic and real, and it affected me. And then uh, about a year later, I went to a Bible week called Stonely that's a bit like West Point, and someone prayed for me, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I felt the life and the power of God within me, and my life was completely changed. I'd believed in Jesus before. I'd come to understand what Jesus had done for me on the cross and that kind of transaction, but I don't think I'd had a relationship with Jesus before that. But when I was filled with the Spirit, suddenly this was a dynamic relationship where I could talk to Jesus. He was speaking to me, and I got to know him. God's presence really does change everything. So we need to pursue God's presence in our lives. Do you make space and time for God in your life? Do you make space and time for God in your life? To worship Him, to pray, to hear from God, to read your Bible, to connect with other Christians, to be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. If we want to pursue the presence of God in our lives, we need to make space and time for Him. That may mean like physically diarizing time. It may mean physically doing things in your home, creating a space where you can spend time with God um, rather than on the bus on the way to work in the morning. There's a story in the book of 1 Kings chapter 4 about a woman 
There's nothing particularly special about her. She's married. She doesn't have children. She's called the Shunammite woman. That's because of where she lives. But she builds an extra room on the roof of her house because the prophet Elisha, you know Elijah and Elisha, and you can never remember, what was that Elijah that did that or was it Elisha? But anyway, whichever, whichever one, they did miraculous things, uh, saw God do remarkable things. And Elisha used to pass by their house every week. And so she thought and said to her husband, I'm going to build a room and then Elisha can come and stay whenever he wants. And because, of, because she made room for the activity of God in her life, amazing things happened. So her husband was quite old, uh, nearly as old as me, and they hadn't had children, but uh, Elisha said, you'll have a child, and she had a son. And then later, her son died, and Elisha prayed, and God brought that child back to life. So the presence of God did remarkable things in this woman's life. And that is a picture of what it means for you and I to make room for God in our lives. David had done that. He'd built the habit of worshiping God in his personal space, in time alone when he was out in the fields. No one saw him. No one probably cared what he was doing as long as the sheep were taken care of. But he cultivated a relationship with God. He developed an integrity and courage that meant he fought off lions and bears to protect the sheep, where he could have just left the sheep to be dragged away. God had been preparing him to be the shepherd of his people, a man after God's heart. Who we are in private is who we will become in public. Saul could have been a man after God's heart. He could have obeyed. And we have a choice in how we live. We can have God's spirit, the very life of God in us, helping us to live. As I was walking to work this week, I think I've got a picture. There it is. I saw this, a river of water flowing down the street. Now, I couldn't see the source, but there was a tiny crack in the tarmac. And as you can see there, water was literally bubbling up um, through this crack and then flowing down the street. There was obviously a burst water main underneath the road. And I felt God speak to me that he wants to break out in unexpected places across the city. The presence of God bubbling up and flowing down the streets, bringing life wherever it goes. You and I can be springs of God's spirit where we are. He wants to well up within you and overflow into the streets where you live and work and into the lives of people around you. I was so encouraged yesterday. Emma Cave shared something that she felt uh, like God wanted to say to the church at the Cotton prayer meeting. And it was from Isaiah 43, verse 19. And it says this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. 
now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I don't think Emma had seen that burst water main, um, but I was so encouraged that God wanted to speak. And I went back, uh, I think later that day or the next day, to take that photo, and as I got there, the heavens opened. And I, you can laugh at me, I got absolutely drenched. I think that's what God wants to do for many of us today. He wants to drench you with his spirit. David modeled a life of worship that points us to Jesus. In the Gospels, we read Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He didn't just fight to defend his sheep from lions and bears like David, Jesus sacrificed himself. He gave his life to save the sheep, to save us. And because of that, we can have the very presence and life of God come and fill us, his Holy Spirit. And what does the Spirit-filled life look like? It's power. It's God's power for life. Power for us to live for Jesus, to live for him and to do the things that he did. It's courage to step out and reach people with the gospel, being a faithful witness. This is the difference that Jesus has made in my life. It's mercy to restore broken lives, not being indifferent or uncaring to the needs of people around us, but being moved with compassion for people. And it's grace to be generous with the resources we have, not hoarding our possessions or being exclusive in our friendships, but generously sharing out of all that God has given to us. The Spirit-filled life looks like transformed lives, and it looks like all of us using the gifts that God's given us, whether that's gifts of faith, of leadership, of hospitality, serving, whatever it is. So whilst anyone can experience or the presence of God or observe it like I did even before I was a Christian, the only condition to be filled with the Spirit is to be a Christian and surrender to Jesus. John the Baptist spoke, to the, uh, spoke about the believer's baptism in the Holy Spirit, saying this, I baptize with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He, that's Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. God often fills people with the Spirit when they first put their faith in Jesus, but he's eager to fill us again and again throughout our lives. And that shows us we can't live the right way, the way God wants us to live, without his strengthening power. We can't worship passionately without overflowing joy from God. We can't serve effectively without his gifting and without his empowering. Saul couldn't function effectively without God's spirit. But David was anointed, not just with oil by Samuel, but with the Spirit of God. It is the the responsibility of every 
believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit to live an empowered life, to live for God. So we need to pursue God's empowering through his Spirit and seek to be filled as part of our daily walk with God. I know I can't live a day without his help. I get it wrong. I'm like Saul. I'm prone to doing things in my own strength and in my own way. I need God's Spirit at work in me, teaching me what it means to make good choices, to say no to sin and yes to God. I need the Holy Spirit to give me courage to share my faith, to step out in mission and to use my gifts. And you do too. So we're going to respond. I'd love to ask the band to come back. And I'm just going to tell us how we're going to respond. I want to, want to pray all together for people to be filled with the Spirit. The requirement is just to believe and to be thirsty. Sometimes we get blockages in our lives, things that hinder God's presence. But actually, uh, we can just repent and say sorry. And as God fills us, he washes us clean. You may be here today and you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be baptized. You can be drenched. You can be saturated in God's Spirit today. Or you may have been filled in the past, but you feel like God's far off. You feel dry and thirsty. Maybe you can't even remember the last time you powerfully met with God. We're going to ask for God's tangible presence to come now. It's a simple prayer. We're going to pray, come Holy Spirit. If you want that, then just ask God to come and fill you with his spirit. Nothing weird is going to happen. There's nothing to be scared of. Just like the spirit coming when David played to Saul, when God's spirit comes, we often feel an overwhelming sense of God's love and peace. Because it is God's spirit, we can often, uh, sorry, because it's God's spirit, it's powerful. So sometimes there's a physical sensation. Some people feel a warmth come over them. Some people laugh or cry or maybe tremble. But that is normal. When the infinite God touches finite human beings, there's often a reaction. Don't worry about whether you feel anything physically or not. That isn't the indicator of whether God is filling you with his spirit. The primary indicator is the fruit in your life, what the spirit produces in you. The Spirit produces results in your life like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control.